Hi, I'm Brenda Burns, and this is the Vienna Assembly of God Sermons Podcast. Thank you for listening. It's an honor to share this time with you. Learn more about the ministries of Vienna Assembly of God at ViennaAG.com. Please leave your comments and reviews on the platform where you're listening. And now for today's message. We're going to take a look at the Psalms and talk about what God is doing um, and speaking to us in the Psalms. So we're going to look today, what I told you last week is that each week through this series, I will have a little section about, about the Psalms, like just in general, how to read the Psalms. And then um, we will focus in on a particular Psalm. So we're, today what we're going to look at is the structure of the Psalms. Last week, what we looked at was the genre and all uh, the different types of psalms that there are. This is going to talk about how, how did the book of Psalms come to be in the order that it's in? And, and how did it, you know, how is it structured? Um, how was it put into use by the people of God in the Old Testament times? And learning from that then how we can put them to use for ourselves. So I want to make note of two resources that have greatly helped me in preparation for today. One is How to Read the Psalms. That's the name of the book by Tremper Longman III. And another one is A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. So in last week, I, I, I quoted Tremper Longman, his statement about how reading the Psalms is like entering a sanctuary. It's a, it's a place where God meets with us. So we're going to think about the structure of that, you know, like w- as we come in, what, what is the structure like in the Psalms? It's a book made up of individual psalms. And how did they come to be? How did each of those come about? Well, over a thousand years. Some are all the way back to the time of Moses and then all the way up to the time after the exile. And so that's an important thing to keep in mind. One clue that is provided in the psalms are the titles. So not every psalm has titles, but many of them do. And in those titles, we can get a lot of information. The author, uh, the historical event, or what was going on (laughs) that prompted this psalm to be written. Um, And it also includes the melody or musical information. Now, unfortunately, we don't know, we can't hear what melody they heard back then but that information is in the psalms and then it it can give the function like is this a psalm for when they are coming into the sanctuary or is this a psalm for ascending the hill of the lord it gives that kind of information so the the scholars have wrestled through time with how to treat the titles Um, are they a part of the canon of scripture because if they are, then you have to say they are inspired and inerrant. And the reality is some, it, is, it is known that some of the titles got added 
many years after the psalm was written. And so there's a little bit of a wrestling with that. The other end of the spectrum is to just totally disregard them and pretend like they don't exist. And that's not helpful either. So we, we don't treat them as the canon, but we do treat them as a reliable help in understanding what's going on in that psalm. So they came together, as I said, over a thousand years. And so if you think about it, it's, it's that the, the directors of the worship were tasked with collecting these different psalms into this book called Psalms. And, and they had a specific way that they did that, although it's not completely something that we can just say, uh, like an outline. Here's how it went. Here are certain structural attributes that are there. There are some groupings, and I'm not going to give them all right here, but like Psalm 1 through such and such, Psalm this, that, that, that it, the groupings are five books of Psalms, and each of those five books end with a doxology. So you can tell it's at the end of that one, and now it's moving into another one. Um, but even that has some little things that are confusing about it. So, for example, at the end of Psalm 72, it, will, it says, This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. We know that David wrote a lot of the Psalms, right? But uh, it, there are some Psalms of David that are now placed after Psalm 72, so whenever that ending was written, um, sometime after that, the order got shuffled again. <laughs> so that's kind of a, a structural reality of how the Psalms are. There are other groupings that include such as a song, the Songs of Ascents. That's Psalms 120 through 134, and we're going to be looking at one of those today. And these were songs sung by the pilgrims as they ascended the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So as they came around from all around the nation of Israel into Jerusalem, these were songs that they sang. The other structural thing that we can kind of see in Psalms is there's a movement. And the, the, the Hebrew name for the Psalms is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, Tehillim. And what that means is songs of praise. Well, that, okay, sure. But then we realize that there are lots of songs of lament in this book, right? And so why is the overall book called songs of praise when so many of them are, are songs of lament? And th this is what Trimper Longman said that I think is really helpful. A decided shift takes place if you, if you read from Psalm 1 through Psalm 150. Um, as you move from the beginning of the book to its end, praise overtakes lament until at the very end of the book, we have a virtual fireworks of praise. And it just ends on this super high note of, of hymns and worship and praise. So there's that structural move through the book. Um, and lastly, Longman suggests that the beginning of the book was intentional as well. Psalm 1 is a 
wisdom psalm, blessed is the one who walks not with the ungodly, etc., and that this is a way, it's like the entryway into this sanctuary, and it's drawing the distinction between the wicked person and the wise person, and as we enter into the psalms, the reader is, we are asked to determine which are we, who am I going to be in God's, <laughs> among God's people, and so that is, that is also a structural intent with the psalms. So the summary of this section is that there's not an overall systematic structure, but there's evidence of intent in guiding the reader and worshiper through the titles, through the groupings, and through the movements. So the challenge for me in doing a series like this, there is 150 Psalms. How do I, I'm not planning to do the series for 150 weeks, okay? So how do we pick out which Psalms to, to focus on and which one to do? Um, but I really am, am depending on the Holy Spirit here to spark some things for me. And this is what I felt this week that, that the Holy Spirit has directed. And so we're going to look at Psalm 133. It is one of the Psalms of Ascent. It's very short. It's only three verses long, but let's look at it together. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem, a Psalm of David. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. For harmony is as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head, that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. So earlier this summer, we took a look at the Lord's Prayer, and I was emphasizing that, that this is a way to pray with Jesus. He, he taught us this prayer, right? Well, another one of Jesus' prayers is recorded in John 17, and I have been challenged to join Jesus in this prayer also. Here's what he said in verses 20 and 21. I am praying not only for these disciples but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I just want to remind you today that while Jesus was here on earth, he was praying for you. And in Hebrews, we hear that he is ever interceding for you. So please be encouraged today. Jesus prays for you. But what did he pray in verse 21? I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. 
So I say I'm challenged, and, and I mean it like this in terms of I have to resist giving up on this request. <laughs> you know, it just feels like I, I'm not sure if this prayer of Jesus has ever been fully realized. Um, in the book of Acts, in the early church, we read of several situations where the people of God were not in harmony, as the psalmist uh, puts it. The, the King James Version in that psalm uses the word unity, and you may be more familiar with that, but we're going to use that word harmony, unity. Jesus said that they may be one the, the epistles have many injunctions to God's people to work at living together in peace, which suggests to me it wasn't just happening naturally, okay? And so some of Paul's letters even address specific situations and relationships by name. How would you like that to be the reason your name got into the Bible? Like, so for example, in Philippians 4, 2, he says, now I appeal to Yodia and Sintishe, I don't know how to say her name, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. By name, he calls them out and says, let's get this thing settled, folks. Let's get this together here. Well, we know that in our day and time, global church unity or harmony is not a thing. Have you noticed? <laughs> it can be disheartening to encounter Christians at odds arguing over doctrine or practice or social concerns or political positions, institutional power structures work against actual harmony in Christ's body. And we aren't going to solve that problem today. But I do think it's wise to acknowledge it. And here's the thing church family, I do not want you, I don't want any of you burning out or becoming disillusioned in your faith because of that reality that Christians don't get along all the time. <laughs> and here's the other fact, plenty of people, people you know, they're fed up with that. And they have determined that they just don't need church or even other believers in their life at all. Now, I'm certain you have friends or family that feel this way. You're here today, so yay on you. <laughs> you have hope and faith in the experience of gathered worship. But that is not the case for everyone in your life. Am I right? Is this true? Yeah. And there's a variety of reasons for that. A variety of reasons why people have pulled away from church life. But one of the main issues for many people is the experience of division in the church rather than harmony. Strife and discord. <laughs> rather than unity. Hurt 
and wounds rather than healing and comfort. And I want to acknowledge that this is not easy. I personally have disagreements with the way some followers of Jesus either preach or practice or treat others. I, I mean, I wish it wasn't a sticking point for so many people and so many denominations to have a female pastor, for example. So I'm not in agreement with everybody, and they're not in agreement with me, okay? I wish that making a stand for justice, whether that's for racial issues or for creation care and the environment or for combating Christian nationalism, what, et cetera, et cetera. I wish that wasn't controversial, but that's not the world we live in. Psalm 133 helps us know that there is hope and there is solace and there is a place where we can receive refreshment and respite from this cruelty of a divided world. And for us, that is part of what we want your experience of church to be. When you hear the word church, we want a smile on your face, <laughs> not a ooh like that, you know. We, don't, we want it to be a good feeling for you. I don't want to spend time in this pulpit talking about what's wrong with all the other churches. Do you know that's some people's experience every Sunday? They get to hear what's wrong with everybody else. Well, I don't want that for us here. Even though sometimes I do have to address issues. I want to come to you in a spirit of humility and faith, willing to say the hard thing without being a hard person and trusting God to do the work that only he can do and to create an environment here for spiritual formation where we learn to love each other through disagreements and differences and experience the harmony that's described in Psalm 133. So Eugene Peterson explains this poetic imagery, and we're just going to look at that for a moment and then move into communion. So there's two images that David uses here to explain how wonderful it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. The first one is costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard flowing down Aaron's beard, down the collar and to the border of his priestly robes. Oil in the scripture represents the presence of God. And this image specifically comes from Exodus, where the instructions were given for the ordination of Aaron and the other priests. 
This priestly reference is echoed in the New Testament for us. We are taught the priesthood of all believers. And so as we read the Psalms through the lens of moving forward into Jesus and and to where we are, we need to accept that as well. How does living in harmony work for us? Part of it is this reality of taking on that role, the priesthood of all believers, serving one another in priestly roles, prayer, speaking the word of the Lord to one another, and recognizing the anointing in each other, and coming to this this reality that we need each other. It's not... um, the pastor with individual strings down to each one of you. It is all of us together. That's what this oil flowing over us is supposed to be like. This, is, this model is significantly different and contrasted to what has been labeled consumer Christianity. And I don't know if you've heard that or not, but it's generally the idea of looking around for a church that has what you want. And, it's, and you know, not the, it's, it's very me-centered, consumer-centered. That model of treating church like a place where goods and services are delivered really messes with building a community uh, of serving one another. But again, I want to acknowledge it is pervasive. It's something that we have to constantly resist. The second image is the dew on Mount Hermon flowing down the slopes of Zion. So Mount Hermon, it's the highest mountain in that part of the world. And the imagery here is of a a heavy dew that is so full that it extends to the hills of Zion which aren't right next to it. You know, it it goes a long way. And this heavy dew extends all the way to Zion. It's a sign of freshness and a renewal of hope. And the dew is what? New every morning. Every morning. Community in harmony is one where there is a constant and ever-renewed expectation in what God is doing with each other in the faith. We have a posture of belief and acceptance. So why is this the word for us today? I mean, we're a small group here, (laughs) and and I I think part of it is the reason that this is the word for us today is because of the people you're connected to that aren't experiencing this. I think God has blessed us with harmony here. And, and, and we have that refreshing experience with one another. But we've got to continue to let that expand. It can't just be just us. Living in harmony doesn't happen in isolation. And that's why it's so difficult. 
uh, you know, I have no problem getting along with myself. Well, sometimes I might. But, you know, we, we, I don't have a problem getting along with people <laughs> until we actually have to hang out with people. You know, and now we're together and we have to, like, work at this and start getting along with each other. You guys have a generous and a loving spirit. It is meant to flow out from here and to bless many. As we open our hearts and our ministry to welcome others in, there's going to be challenges now and then. There's going to be different ways of doing stuff. And there's going to be disagreements of one sort or another. And I am asking that we be committed to do the hard work of living in harmony together, trusting God to do his work through us to reach others, your friends, your family, your co-workers, that right now when they hear the word church, they're kind of going, <laughs> or, or maybe there's just no reaction. It's so irrelevant that, it, that they just, it has no meaning in their life currently. And I, this, this causes my heart to ache because whatever is the forward-facing image that they've seen of church is not one of anointing oil and dew and refreshing and presence and joy and harmony and, and just a good, wonderful experience. And we are called upon to make that difference. When we receive communion, part of what we are doing is discerning the body of Christ. Part of what we are doing is joining in the fellowship of his body and receiving the goodness of God unto us. I want to invite Rachel to come because she has a beautiful song to guide us as we finish up today. Another reality about communion is, of course, we are doing it in remembrance of Christ. And we are remembering that he took on himself our sins and our diseases and that we can come to him believing for healing. So here's how we're going to finish today. We're going to pray a prayer of healing for those who are sick. I will try to call out the names as best I can remember each of you. And then we are going to worship with this song of the cross, and then we'll receive the elements together and finish. Let's enter into a prayer of healing. We need your presence, O oh Lord. We need the reality of coming in out of the cold into a sanctuary that heals us, restores us. And Lord, so do our family and friends. And I pray for that healing power to flow through us today. 
I pray for healing of relationships, healing of emotions, healing of inner wounds. God, I also come before you for physical healing needs. We have many in our congregation who are sick. I pray for Stephanie, for Jerry, for Kathy, for Bethany. I pray for all those, Father, who are facing illness. I pray for Jim. I pray for uh, our region that is facing an increase in COVID positives and that you will help us and protect us and let us experience your healing power in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Rachel, lead us in this song. pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us receive the bread together.
the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us receive the cup together. Wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in harmony. Let us commit to that being our MO. <laughs> That's what we are known for. I want to send you out with a blessing. Let's stand together in here. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, why not share it with a friend? I invite you to subscribe at Apple Podcast and our YouTube channel. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. So glad that you were with us today. Look forward to seeing you next week. At Vienna Assembly of God, we love God, others, and life. And we're leading our community in a growing relationship with God.